You may be seated. We, uh, as I indicated from, or said in the beginning, we do have a guest speaker here, and Pastor Harry Metzger. And I'll let Pastor Metzger explain to us more uh, how he's related to the congregation. But I've known uh, Pastor Metzger's now uh, for uh, perhaps more than 20 years at least. Uh, and I remember, I think one time I met him years ago at the, uh, uh, when I was on the RP Global Missions Board and then uh, some other time uh, at church uh, conferences, etc. Pastor Mesca, uh does have uh, some relatives here. I we haven't seen her for a while, but uh, uh, Karen Metzger is here. Karen has not come because of uh, all the difficulties of uh, uh, health problems and whatnot, but she is uh, active here with and still part of our congregation. And uh, Pastor Metzger's work uh, preaches in, uh, uh, in Pennsylvania, at the North Hills uh, Church there. And I remember when I was in seminary uh, about 50 years ago, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, I used to attend that congregation. So Pastor Mesca, please be welcome here to the uh, pulpit. Well, I would have... Uh... Yes, it's been more than 20 years, Donald, but who knows, time does fly. Uh, thank you for inviting Catherine and me to be with you uh, this weekend. Um, as Donald mentioned, we have, uh, have had family uh, in the area. My uh, wife was born and raised in Indianapolis, and uh, especially in the last few years of her mother's life, she lived at Marquette Manor. And uh, so whenever we would come visit her on the weekend, we would have the privilege of joining you folks uh, for worship service. But I think it's been a, a long time since I've been here in any kind of formal capacity. Uh, I was thinking about that, and I think the last time that I was here in any sort of teaching or preaching capacity, it was in 1979. That uh, goes back a while. Uh, what was happening is that uh, we were... My wife and I were involved with the Navigators down at Indiana University. And as some of you would know, the Navigators, part of their big ministry was having uh, training programs over the summer. And uh, those, I think they lasted for about 12, about, about eight weeks over the summer. And I attended a series of those. And in the summer of 1979, I was invited to go to uh, another place to be the assistant director of that training program. Um, I ended up not going wisely, I think, because my wife and I got married that summer, uh, or that, that fall. I didn't think it would be wise to leave her with all the uh, issues of wedding preparations and stuff. So what they did is they had me uh, lead a weekend conference here. We actually posted here for the navigator students that in central Indiana that were not uh, involved in training programs. So that's the last time I think I've been here. Uh, in this building, at least, in a uh, formal teaching capacity. Of course, I've been here many times and know many of you for, for years. So, again, thank you for the opportunity to be with you uh, this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to Third John, we're going to look both uh, this morning and this evening at this really delightful little letter, I think. Um, the scene we're going to pick up, just really the theme of joy that you see in this letter, but... Today I want to, in this morning's service, I want to kind of open up the whole letter to you. Uh, 
Third John was written by John, uh, even though he calls himself here the elder. Uh, it is John that wrote that. He, he writes Third John to a man named Gaius. Uh, we don't know who this person was, except he was a leader in some church. Uh, the word, the name Gaius was a very popular name, and there's at least three men with that name in the New Testament. So we know nothing more about this man than what's here, uh, and he was some sort of leader in the church. So, again, if you have your Bibles open to 3 John, let me read the entire short letter to you. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. If you're familiar with these uh, short letters of what we call 2 John and 3 John, you know that they are both dealing with really the same broad issue, but from a different perspective. Now, you have to understand that in the early church, they... Um, did not have Bibles as we have them today. And if anybody had access to an internet in those days, it was probably much slower than the internet that we have today. So for people to get information or to have the, the will of God, the, the word of God explained to them, there was often of these traveling teachers that would go around. Second uh, John is really talking about the fact that you need to welcome those teachers, that the church needs to open their doors to them, those that were proclaiming the truth, you were to welcome them. Those that were preaching falsehood or proclaiming falsehood, we not have anything to do with them. And third John has this same issue of these traveling preachers, these traveling evangelists, if you will, and what you were to do to them. He talks to Gaius and basically says Gaius is doing well in whatever he accomplishes for these traveling evangelists, these traveling, these itinerant preachers, if you would. And then he talks about Diotrephes and then commends a man named, uh, named Demetrius at the end of the book. So 
Second John was welcoming the churches to welcome these traveling teachers, those that were proclaiming the truth. And now third John, Gaius is commended for his work, and Diotrephes is rebuked for his attitude toward these traveling teachers. So this morning we're going to look at the theme that walking in truth, humility, and love honors God and encourages people. Walking in truth, humility, and love honors God and encourages people. If you have your Bibles open, I think you will notice that probably the key verse in uh, 3 John is verse 11. It's the only verse that's a command. And so the command that John gives to Gaius, which was obviously to go throughout the whole church, was, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So we are to imitate the good. We are not to imitate the evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that bad company corrupts good morals. We're to set before us good models, good role models, and we're to imitate them. Hebrews 13.7 tells us that that to remember those who led you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. So again, the idea that we have this morning is that as we walk in humility and love and joy and service, we honor God and we encourage one another. So imitate what is good. Don't imitate what is evil. I'd like to just share with you a couple of major themes, and we'll delve into this passage. The passage is really about the truth. You see that uh, John is talking about it there in verses 3 and 4. He rejoiced greatly when people came and testified to him that John was walking in the truth. And then he says in verse 4 that he knows of no greater joy than to hear of his children walking in the truth. Now, John is considering Gaius here as one of his children, so we rejoice when our own children, our physical children, walk in truth. But John is not talking about his physical children here. He's talking about Gaius being one of his children. And he says that there's no greater joy than to hear of his children walking in the truth. It's quite an amazing statement, isn't it, when you stop and think about it. All that John experienced, all that he saw, He was there when Jesus did his miracles. He was there for the transfiguration. And yet he says, there's no greater joy than to hear the fact that I've influenced people and those people are walking in the truth. One of the aspects of Christian discipleship, I believe, is the idea of influence. Uh, Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 1 that he wanted to come to the the people of Rome so that he might have some fruit among them, even as he had among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul was excited that his life was going to have an influence on the Roman people. And now John is saying that there's no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Another thing that we see here is the idea of love. It's a faithful thing that you do for these brothers. And then and in verse 5, and then these brothers have come back to John and testified to, to Gaius' love, that he loved these traveling evangelists, these, tra- these itinerant preachers, if you would. 
And then you also see in this passage the idea of joy. Now let me just uh, take a moment to uh, talk with you about these things of truth, love, and joy, some of the themes here. Uh, We have to recognize that truth is in Jesus. And Jesus is in you if indeed you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and if you've professed him as your Savior and Lord before people. If we do that, recognize that truth is in Jesus and Jesus is in you, then truth is in you. Think about the idea of love, that uh, we know that God is love. If you go back to 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and verse 16, you'll see that phrase there twice, that God is love. God dwells in you, and therefore you are a loving person. You can be a loving person. The story is told of uh, during the Second World War that there was a, a Nazi prison camp in the mountains of France. And the person that was over this concentration camp was a man that he was nicknamed as the torturer. Emerson Egridge tells a story about this man. And the torturer one day called in this French man that had been taken as a prisoner. And this French prisoner was an evangelical Christian. And for some reason, when this French prisoner came into the presence of the torturer, it seems that the the Spirit of God just overwhelmed him. And his countenance changed. And this kind of bothered the torturer. And he, he said to this French evangelical, don't you know who I am? And the, the, the man said, yes, I know who you are. You're the torturer. And I know that you have the power to torture me. And I know that you have the power to kill me. But you do not have the power to make me hate you. You see, as people in whom in whose lives God dwells, and God is love, then there's no power on earth that can make you hate people because the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. Then just think about joy. We don't ever talk about this much, but God possesses joy. God is joy. We're going to come back to this theme a little bit this evening. But God possesses joy. And if God dwells in you, then you should be a joyful person. They've done a lot of research now in what's called brain science. And they've realized that as, you know, they, tech, they can attach electrodes to the brain and all those sorts of things. I don't understand any of it. But one of the things that they've understood is that joy is one of the chief driving forces of the human experience. That every second, your unconscious mind is searching for joy. Several times every second, it's searching for joy. God is joy. God lives in us. Therefore, we should be joyful people. So we'll pursue some of those themes again this evening, but to just recognize that truth, love, and joy are prominent in here. So the first thing we need to see here about, as we get into the text, is that we are to imitate people like Gaius. Now, obviously, this command in verse 11 is given to Gaius, but then as we read the letter, you know, thousands of years later, we see Gaius is probably a person that we should emulate, a person that we should imitate. 
So we're to imitate men like Gaius, a man of truth. We're to imitate men of, like Gaius, a man of truth. Now, notice the fruits of truth that we see in this chapter. Look at chapter, uh, verse 3, uh, the last part. Uh, obedience is a fruit of truth. As you indeed are walking in the truth, obedience is a fruit of truth. Look at verse 5. Love is a fruit. It is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are, he was walking in the truth, and he was showing love to these traveling evangelists. And then we also see that prosperity or joy, which we'll return to this evening, is a result of truth. He knows that his things are going well in his life. Uh, you see that in verse 2. It is going well with his soul. And then the, he tells us that Gaius is walking to the truth. So we're to imitate Gaius, a man of truth. Truth is in Jesus. Jesus dwells in us. Therefore, we have truth in us. Cling to that truth. So notice a little bit more here about Gaius. Just walk through this passage with me. In verse 2, you see that John is praying for him, that all may go well with him, just as he knows it's going well with his soul. How does John know that it's going well with his soul? Because he knew that Gaius was walking in the truth. My friends, what about your life? demonstrates that you are walking in the truth. You see, if we're walking in the truth, our souls are going to prosper. We're going to live in joy. Uh, look at uh, verse 3 and 4. We already talked about this idea that, that there's no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. I'm sure as this congregation has sent out uh, people to various parts of the world, and sometimes you'll hear reports of what God is using through their lives. I'm sure that brings great joy to you, to hear of people that were born and raised in this church and have gone out to various parts of the world. And you hear that they're still walking in the truth. John said there's no greater joy than that. Continue on, just looking at a few of these things. Verse 5, it's clear that Gaius was supporting these Christian evangelists, these Christian, these traveling missionaries, these traveling teachers. He was supporting them. And you as a congregation have been a model to, I suppose, all the rest of our denomination in the fact of how you have supported and encouraged missions and encouraged your own people to go to missions. Uh, look at verse 6. Uh, Gaius was a man of truth. The, the people were so, or excuse me, a man of love. The, when they brought back word to John, they brought back word that Gaius took care of us. Gaius loved us. And it's such a great thing that we can love one another because of Jesus. Then just look at verse 7. The, these people have gone out for the sake of the truth. They weren't accepting anything from the Gentiles because people like Gaius were, when they came to where Gaius was, Gaius was supporting them. Obviously, probably giving them food and shelter and things like that. And then look at verse 8. We ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We are workers with the truth when we support and encourage one another, when we support and encourage missionaries and missions and ministers. We're working with the truth when we do that. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust 
so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the truth. Imitate, my friends, imitate people like Gaius, a man of love and truth and joy and obedience. But then John moves on to Diotrephes. We are not to imitate people like Diotrephes, a man of pride. We are not to imitate people like Diotrephes, a man of pride. Again, just if you have your Bibles open, look at some of the things that John says about the Diotrephes here. He says that he demands to occupy the leading place in verse 9. He says that he refuses to acknowledge these traveling evangelists. He also tells us in, in verse 10 that he does not recognize John's authority as an apostle and the rest of the apostles. He doesn't recognize their authorities. He refuses in verse, the second part of verse 10, he refuses to serve these itinerant teachers instead of welcoming them and giving them a forum and providing for them. He refuses to welcome them. And then you see that in, the, in verse 10 as well, they excommunicates those who were offering them help. So not only did he refuse to welcome these traveling pastors, if you will, he would excommunicate people in the church who were trying to welcome them. So we're not to imitate people like Diotrephes. Diotrephes loved the limelight. He apparently loved the praise of men. I remember many years ago when we were first uh, in Chicago uh, in a church planting situation, suburban Chicago in a church planting situation, we attended a, another church in the area. The pastor knew what we were doing, that we were hoping to start a church. He understood that and welcomed us, welcomed us to attend their worship services. And so we did. And I remember one time he was telling me, because where we were located was very close to what was then known as Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, the third largest evangelical seminary in the world. Uh, and this uh, pastor at this church would often teach uh, at, the, at the seminary. He, he was talking to a student one time, and the student wanted to become a pastor, and the, the pastor of the church that we were attending said, well, what is it that makes you want to be a pastor? And the student said, well, I just love being up in front of people. Uh, that's his reason for wanting to be a pastor. Diotrephes loved the limelight. He loved being in front of people, it seems. He loved having first place in, people, in, in the congregation. The Apostle Paul said, if I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If you're trying to please men in your life, you can't be a servant of Jesus. This is what Paul said. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 20 that we're not to lord our position over people, but whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be great among you shall be the slave of all. You see, greatness in the kingdom is achieved by serving. So let me speak to the young people here for a moment, if I may. I know it's very easy for young people to want to be popular, to want to run with the right crowd in school. 
to receive the praise of men, to be honored among people, to have the right friends. I know that's very easy to do. I was in that trap when I was in school. But let me encourage you, even as young people, even as young people, look for opportunities to serve. To serve your families, maybe even serve people in your school. Because you see, that's where true greatness in the kingdom of God comes in. Love to serve. Don't be like the atrophies who desired the first place among people. Love to serve. So don't imitate the atrophies, a man of pride. But then we're also told that we are to imitate, in essence, Demetrius, a man of a good reputation. We see him in verse 12. We, again, we don't know anything about Demetrius, uh, except that he's received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Most likely, Demetrius was perhaps one of these traveling teachers. Most likely, he's the one that brought this letter to Gaius, although none of that we know at all. But what we do know about him is in verse 12, that he's received a good, repu- a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also had our testimony. He knew that our testimony is true. So Demetrius was thought highly of by John and by other people. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is more to be desired than great wealth. Is that true of your life? You see, I think our society is more and more trying to get us to treasure wealth and prestige and honor. Demetrius was a man of a good testimony from everyone. There were some uh, professors that gathered at Rice University after the Enron debacle. You remember one of the biggest financial scandals that uh, the world has ever seen. And uh, they wanted to gather to have kind of a think tank to see how you could prevent another Enron from happening. And one of the things that one of the professors there said was a very simple thing. It was, his name was uh, Dwayne Windsor. He was a professor at Rice. And he said this, that what's needed in our society is, quote, more fear of a loss of reputation. Again, Proverbs 22.1. A good name is more to be desired than great wealth. Demetrius was a man of a good reputation. So let me just ask you, if I were to go to your neighborhood, to your school, to your workplace, maybe to your extended family, and had an opportunity to ask them about you, what would they say about you? Would they say that you are selfish or a servant? Would they say that you are sullen or joyful? What would people say about you? I remember many years ago, some of you may have known a man named Dick DeLong. He was uh, one of the leaders of uh, the evangelical church in Bloomington. And Dick DeLong had the privilege of uh, living with Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators. And I remember asking him one time, what was it like to live with Dawson Trotman? And I will never forget his response. He kind of bowed his head, kind of shook his head, and then he 
looked me in the eye and he said, talking about Dawson Trotman, he was such a servant. Again, shaking his head, such a servant. You know, here was a man that influenced the people that influenced the world for the gospel. He influenced Billy Graham. He influenced Cam Townsend, the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translation. He influenced Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. He influenced George Verver, founder of Operation Mobilization. Betty Green, founder of Mission Aviation Society. The list goes on. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, now called True. He influenced all of these people. And yet what Dick DeLong said was not his influence, but that he was a servant. And maybe that's how we truly influence people, is learning to serve. Demetrius had a good reputation. He was a man of truth. A good reputation from everyone, it tells us there, and from the truth itself. You see, the truth, which is objective, testified to Demetrius that this man is a man of truth. If you have your Bibles, let me just read you 2 John chapter 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Gaius and Demetrius, they lived in this truth, and they had the Father and the Son. Well, there's one more group that we need to look at, again, as we seek to influence and imitate what is good, and that is these traveling teachers. We're to imitate these traveling teachers, people of commitment. It tells us in verse 7 that they went out for the sake of Christ, taking nothing from the Gentiles. They were men of commitment. They were willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. They left their areas of support, they went out, trusting as they traveled and went to new churches, new groups of people, that they would have their support and their their housing and things like that. They left everything for the sake of Christ. A few years ago, we had our youth in the North Hills Church, where I'm one of the pastors, uh, attend a, a conference sponsored by John Piper and David Platt. And it was really a conference to try to encourage young people ages 18 to 25 to consider giving their life to mission work. Maybe some of you attended the same conference. And the phrase from that conference that has stuck with me is this. Some go, some send, all are called. Some go, some send, all are called. And what struck me from that is that it makes every one of us important. Some of us will go, some of us will send, but all of us are called. And again, I think this church has been a, a model for all the other churches in the denomination of how you've sent people and supported people and use your resources to support mission work around the world. Some go, some send, all are called. Now let me just say a few words to maybe some of you that may be considering professional ministry, pastorate, mission work, something like that. Let me just encourage you to start doing now the things that you would like to do when you're in the ministry, whether it's missionary work or pastoral work, start doing the things now. Learn to serve. 
Seek training. Build relationships. For those of you that are called to send, again, serve. Now build relationships. Perhaps you'll be building relationships so that you can be an encourager for one of those people that goes overseas. And learn to invest your resources now in the kingdom of God. So to all of us, whether we go, whether we send, we're all called. Serve, cast away pride, build up people. Verse 11, do good. Now let me just say one more thing about this. And that is that if you have professed Jesus as your Savior and Lord and invited him into your heart, then goodness dwells in you because Jesus dwells in you. It's said of Jesus that he went about doing good. And so if Jesus dwells in you, you should be a person who is willing to do good and is doing good. In Philemon chapter 6, or excuse me, not chapter 6, verse 6, Paul is rejoicing over every good thing that's in Philemon. You see, because the Spirit of God dwelt in Philemon, there was good things in Philemon. And because the Spirit of God dwells in you, if you've acknowledged Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then good things dwell in you. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. One of them is the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul prays that God would fulfill every desire for goodness. It's not that God would give them a desire for goodness, but that God would fulfill every desire for goodness. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8, it says, The noble man plans noble deeds, and by noble deeds he stands. Goodness has been placed in your heart. Nobility has been placed in your heart because of Jesus. Therefore, do good. Do good and imitate what is good. Do good and imitate what is good. Don't imitate the things that are evil. Some of you have maybe read the biography of John Payton. John Payton was one of the well-known missionaries to the Pacific Islands. The work of John Payton and John Getty, what was then called the New Hebrides Islands, were almost completely converted. Places inhabited by cannibals, just Remarkable, the work that Getty and Payton did. John Payton was raised in a Reformed Presbyterian home. And he talks about his father. And he talks about his father's walk with God. And then he asks a question in his biography, reflecting on his father's life. And the question has haunted me ever since I read the question. The question was this, speaking about his father. He walked with God. Why may not I? You see, my friends, we can walk with God. 
Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, love and joy and obedience and truth and goodness have been placed in your heart. So my simple charge is do good. Imitate those that are doing good. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have to uh, gather together. Thank you that you have placed models in each of our lives. People whose lives we can emulate. People whose lives that we can strive to be like them. And God, thank you that you've given these models to us. And I pray, God, that you would allow us to be models of goodness and obedience and truth and joy to others. That you would help us to influence by our goodness, by the goodness that you've placed in us. Help us to be models of goodness for other people. God, I pray for each of us that you would help us to do good and imitate what is good. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.